praise band. That was beautiful. What a glorious song. Good morning. It's fantastic to see all of you here this morning, and I look forward to meeting some of you who have not been able to meet you. This may be the first time that you felt comfortable coming back into worship uh, since we began coming back in live worship. And so I look forward today to uh, maybe meeting you, some of you, after, after the service. What a difference a day makes. That's what we're looking at this morning, and I'm going to have to pause here for just a second. I apologize. Uh, we'll go with the paper copy today instead of the, iPad, uh, instead of the computer. But um, what a difference a day makes. Think about that. Different days that have made all the difference. And certainly today on Easter Sunday, as we celebrate our Lord Christ and his resurrection, we realize that this day, the Resurrection Sunday, has made all the difference for world history, for our world today, and for you and me as individuals. Before we get to Resurrection Sunday, let's look at difference-making days in our own lives. What days would you point to that marked a real difference to you? I'm going to ask you to just tell me what, speak out and tell me what some days in your life you thought really made a difference. They were pivotal days in your life and made an impactful change. Birth of your child, there we go. That's, that's at the top of the list for a lot of people. What else? Weddings, okay, good. Mission trips, impacting uh, both your spiritual life and your ability to participate with others in ministry. De- deaths, funerals, yes. First day at a new job. You know, so far I had all these written down, and I was going to list those, and I thought, well, I'll just see what you guys have to say. So we're pretty much on target. Anybody else? What else? Okay. Grandchild? Yeah. Baptism? Awesome. Awesome. Well, some of those, some of you had mentioned the first day your child was born. And what a remarkable day that is. And, and moms and dads alike sort of reach out and say that. I think dads being there as cheerleaders and kind of cheering the mother on and getting there at the end of the day, they may share a cigar with somebody and celebrate. It was a much different day for dad than it was for mom. So I'm not sure that, that uh, the mothers see it as totally joyous but certainly, uh, certainly a fantastic day. We're going to take a look at a clip of one mother. Good morning, honey. I'm sorry, I didn't make you breakfast. But our son did. Da, da, da. Happy Mother's Day, Mommy. Oh, honey. This is so great. Are you the sweetest? Thank you, sweetheart. I helped a little bit on the eggs, but he did the toast all by himself. Well, mm. this is the best toast I've ever had. Really? Yes, really. I am so lucky to be your mommy. The day you were born was the best day of my life. What was it like? The day you were born? It was amazing. Were you scared, Mommy? Oh, no. I was excited. I had a big smile on my face the whole time. Didn't I? Oh, yeah. 
Were you scared? No, but daddies don't get scared. I'm not ready! You're not a man! I love you, Mommy. Oh, I love you too, honey. <laughs> How fabulous. Sorry about that. How fantastic that is. And you can't help but laugh at the same time. Uh, it's such a joyous time when our children are born, particularly our firstborn. Uh, I'm not a firstborn. My older brothers made it clear that the first was the best. So I, I could argue with that. But we think about that day that the, the child was born and we, we move on to life and life with family, life with children. And uh, we experience all kinds of things. And some of you fathers may have had a daughter. Maybe that was your firstborn, as it was in my case. Lindsay was born 37 years ago this last week. And uh, I remember that time in 1985. And I remember at that moment when I was holding her in the nursery, I thought, someday she's going to leave for some guy, and uh, we'll lose her and all that. And sure enough, in 2008, 23 years later, uh, she married and started her own family. It was fabulous, but still a little bit of melancholy on those days. It's, it's exciting, it's joyous, but you know what it feels like, many of you, to be there. And, and uh, the, the worst thing is that they called the fathers to be giving away their daughter. Well, I'm not sure about that language these days, but nevertheless, it's that sense of, of transitioning and moving on. And uh, one of those, one of my favorite movies is Father of the Bride. The very first one in 1991, Lindsay was only six, but I remember crying as he looked at and remembered his daughter as she was growing up and shooting baskets in the driveway, and there at the wedding, we're going to take a look at George Banks. I used to think a wedding was a simple affair. Boy and girl meet, they fall in love, he buys a ring, she buys a dress, they say I do. I was wrong. That's getting married. A wedding is an entirely different proposition. I know. I've just been through one. Not my own. My daughter's. Annie Banks McKenzie. That's her married name. McKenzie. I'll be honest with you. When I bought this house 17 years ago, it cost less than this blessed event in which Annie Banks became Annie Banks McKenzie. I'm told that one day I'll look back on all of this with great affection and nostalgia. I hope so. You fathers will understand. You have a little girl, an adorable little girl who looks up to you and adores you in a way you could never have imagined. I remember how her little hand used to fit inside mine. How she used to love to sit on my lap and lean her head against my chest. She said I was her hero. Then the day comes when she wants to get her ears pierced and wants you to drop her off a block before the movie theater. Next thing you know, she's wearing eyeshadow and high heels. From that moment on, you're in a constant state of panic. You worry about her going out with the wrong kind of guys, the kind of guys who only want one thing. And you know exactly what that one thing is because it's the same thing you wanted when you were their age. Then she gets a little older and you quit worrying about her meeting the wrong guy. 
and you worry about her meeting the right guy. And that's the biggest fear of all, because then you lose her. And before you know it, you're sitting all alone in a big empty house wearing rice on your tux, wondering what happened to your life. How many have felt that way? That's that, that experience that we have and, and sort of the, the sense of loss, but also the melancholy that comes. Events that change our lives. Events that are pivotal and milestones in our experience. But you understand that that Jesus' life was world-changing, not just life-changing. Only because of the resurrection. Think about it. All of the great things that Jesus taught, all the great miracles that he performed, all of the things that, that they experienced, the disciples did walking along three years with him, none of that would have meant anything without the resurrection. All of the parables that Jesus told to teach us how to live, we would have never heard those parables if the resurrection hadn't occurred. If Jesus' story had ended on Friday, the world would be more different than we can even imagine. What if the resurrection had never occurred? It's a scary thought because we think about what could have happened in the world and if Jesus had never been here, but in particular if Jesus had never been raised from the dead. That whole experience, our world would be totally different. Have you ever tried to to sort of reconstruct your world in your mind and and think about that your world and your life if that certain thing had not happened? What if that that job you came to love had never occurred and you kind of wandered about in your career and never found anything that was fulfilling? What about never meeting that, that perfect person you wanted to commit to as a spouse or a partner and, and share your life with in the long term? What would the world look like for you? And what would the world look like without you? If you'd never been born, think of the people that have never felt your touch or seen you smile. Think about that that person you married or or became a partner with and realized that that would have never happened. Who knows what would have happened to them? The children that perhaps you've been blessed with and the lives that they impact never happened. So we look at the world and, and the resurrection and we understand that it's the most important thing that has happened. We want to understand what the impact of Christianity has actually been. What has Christianity done for the world? Well, there are a number of things that, if we think about them this morning, and I hope to bring them to our mind, that they're so critical to what's happened in our world since Jesus was raised from the dead. First of all, the sheer value of human life. Human life was meaningless when Jesus was alive. People were tossed aside. People, in many cases, were property. People were not valued unless they had power and money. And then it really wasn't the person. It was the power and the money that was valued. People were tossed aside and just thrown away. You know, what if Jesus had never said, we are made in the image of God? 
No one on the planet had ever heard those words before. They had never been spoken by anyone. It had never crossed any person's mind in all of the history of the world that that could be possible. That one statement changed the world. We are made in the image and likeness of God. The most important thing that could possibly happen. Well, we read about a French engineer professor, and he was talking to his students, and they were looking, they'd, been tra- they'd traveled to some mines and, and kind of experienced what it's like to go down in a mine, whether it's to, to look for gold or, or, or spe- uh, precious minerals, or even going in looking for coal, and understanding all the value that had come from mining throughout history. And at the end of the day, the professor asked the students, what's the most important thing to come out of a mind? A mine. He said, the students kind of threw out gold and the precious minerals and even coal and other things just looking at, at what we learn about the world that comes from being down in it, in the earth. And he told them, no, you've all missed it. The most important thing to come out of a mine is the miner. The miner. H.L. Hastings was a prolific writer and evangelist in the 1800s. He traveled to Fiji in 1844, and he said when he was there, you could buy any human being for $7. You could do with that person whatever you wanted. You could make them a slave, you could marry them, you could uh, use them as a worker, uh, you could eat them even. You could do whatever you wanted, and that was what people did. He went back several years later, Missionaries had gone to Fiji in that time, and he gets there and he says, you know what? I couldn't buy a person for a million dollars. You could not buy a person. And he said, that day when I got back there and realized that, I was told that there were 1,200 Christian chapels in Fiji. The resurrection that day. Jesus' words, we are made in the likeness of God. That day, that statement made all the difference for Fiji and for those people. Well, we see the, the value of human beings and we see the value of children. You know, in, uh, in Jesus' time, half of the children never lived past the age of eight. Think about that. Half of the children never lived past the age of eight. Part of that was because many babies were tossed aside. Many have still been influenced by other gods along the way and, and, or just had challenges with a family and they couldn't take care of all of them and they knew it. So they would sit the babies out in, in nature and out in, uh, in, to be exposed to the elements to die or be taken by wolves and, and other creatures. Children, just something to throw away. And then we see Jesus among the crowd He didn't say, let the church leaders, I want to see them. Bring the the wisest people among you, I want to talk to them. That's not what he said. He said, let the children come to me. What an earth-shattering moment. Let the children come to me. At a time, the same day, children were being killed and tossed aside. Let the children come to me. Well, 
remarkable time for Jesus to change that. And then we come to an important one as well. The value of women only became greater because of what Jesus said and did, and that only mattered because of the resurrection. Women, of course, were considered property. A woman's life was very cheap, and Plato even said this. He said, if a man leads a cowardly life, he will be reincarnated as a woman. We laugh a little and chuckle, but think about what that said. The worst thing that could happen if you're a coward is the worst thing that can happen is to, become, is to come back as a woman. So women have continually been uh, raised in value throughout the history of, of the Christian church. It was women that Jesus talked to in the Bible, Mary and Martha, and the story about being at their house to, to have dinner. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the home that Jesus went to, his close friends, just before the, the uh, Palm Sunday. Women were the ones first to the empty tomb. The value of women was raised incredibly by Jesus Christ, by Christianity, and the impact it has had on the world. And here's one that I'm particularly fond of. The value of the elderly. Back in Jesus' time, and many, many generations past, most of the tribes across the world, people and communities all across the world, dealt with their elderly by letting them die or killing them even. We're told that the Eskimos would put their elderly, those about 60 years old and older, they would put them on ice flows and just let them float out into the Arctic. Let them die. Jesus said, all of us are made in the image of God. And when you believe that, it changes everything. You can't look at the, an elderly person and just be dismissive and there's no value there. Why is there value? Because that person is made in the image of God. And the one very powerful thing that's happened as a result of Christianity is the ending and elimination of slavery. Now, it continued along the way, but over generations, slavery as a formal institution became obliterated, was obliterated in history by the movement of powerful people, of people of conviction, uh, William Wilberforce was a British statesman and, and was very passionate about the abolition of slavery. He recruited politicians and leaders, not only in England, but all around the world. And I didn't know this until I was reading about him the other day and, and discovered that two-thirds of the people in the abolition movement were Christian ministers. Great Britain set aside $20 million to help former slaves move into a world of freedom. On the single day, 700,000 slaves were freed. On a single day. All because of the impact of Christianity, with those two-thirds of the abolition movement being Christian ministers. You know, if we move... The resurrection, Christ from history. It's very likely that none of us here 
would have ever been born. The power and impact of the resurrection is experienced every day. Resurrection is the day that changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is and will always be the most important and remarkable day in human history. It will never be topped. It's the most remarkable day. Think about the fact that two and a half billion people in the world identify as Christians. That's 32% of the population on the planet. Two and a half billion people celebrate Easter Sunday. There's no other event now or ever that will bring two and a half billion people not only together on the same day, but agreeing on the same thing. It's true for Christians in Great Britain. It's true for Christians in Canada and Mexico. It's true for Christians in the Ukraine and Christians in Russia. That one day, where two and a half billion of us agree on the same thing. It's the most important day in history. You know, we're all familiar with the chronology of Holy Week as we think about Resurrection Day and all that, that transpired prior to that. We observe Palm Sunday at the beginning of that week and and we think about the tra- things that transpired for Jesus and the disciples in the ensuing days. And on Thursday night, where they had the Passover meal, and Jesus shared with them something that they didn't understand at the time, but it was a remarkable thing. They'd had, they'd had the bread and the wine at dinner, and he took the same bread and the same wine. And in right that moment, it transformed in their minds, as he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. The same bread and the same wine that they had laughed over and enjoyed earlier and, and shared a very somber moment and serious moment in observance of the Passover. Jesus changed everything. Well, when we recap the week, we sense that Jesus must have felt the tension. The tension that was building throughout the week. The drip, drip drip of time pressing Jesus to that fateful Friday. The burden grew in weight, and the specter of the cross loomed large. It was Friday, the day the Pharisees and other leaders felt threatened and had finally won. They erased Jesus and his influence from the landscape of their religion. Every time we think about that Friday, we know Sunday's coming. When we think about it, we know what happens next. But the pain and the heartbreak of Friday would, would give way to the energy and power of the resurrection the following Sunday. This is S.M. Lockridge. Reverend Lockridge was a prominent evangelist in the mid-20th century, the 1900s, and, and was preaching and evangelizing all around the country. And one day in 1976, he preached a sermon in Detroit entitled, That's My King. Pardon me just a second. 
That's my king. And in that message, there was one section that became famous all around the world. It became a sermon that was repeated over and over again to other people and by, by prominent speakers and evangelists because it was so powerful. It was that one section of, that he began to talk about that Friday. That Friday. It's Friday, he said. Jesus was nailed to the cross and died there. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday, and Mary's crying her eyes out because her son is dead. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. Say it with me. Sunday's coming. It's Friday, and the disciples are running around like sheep without a shepherd. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. You and me and our community, our country, our world is familiar with the crucifixion Friday and the despair that it sets in. There's even a word that they created to describe the pain of the cross because nothing was good enough. Not word was great enough to describe the horror of it. And that's that word excruciating. It's a word formed around the word for cross. Excruciating pain in that Friday despair. For some of you, Friday is the day of physical illness, chronic pain, and disease. It's Friday. But Sunday's coming. For you, the, the day may be darkened by mental health issues and depression. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The devastation and destruction of broken relationships may have robbed you of peace and people. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Some of you are experiencing your own kind of despair. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. On that Friday, we find Jesus hanging on the cross, dying in despair. But flash forward to Sunday, to the empty tomb. Jesus was beaten with a whip laced with, with bones and pieces of iron. He was slapped and hit with reeds as he walked toward Golgotha. Flash forward to Sunday, though, to the women looking at the burial cloths laying in the empty tomb. According to physician scholars, Jesus would have been disfigured and marred. Isaiah said that one would scarcely know it was a person. While on the cross, Jesus interacted with the thief that was hanging next to him. This man was seeking salvation, but he got deliverance. Jesus spoke to his mother. He spoke to John. He spoke to the thief on the cross. Flash forward. To Sunday, and the women running to tell others. Jesus was put on the cross at 9 a.m. that Friday morning. By 3 in the afternoon, he was dead. As Jesus' life slipped away on that cross, surely the memories of the last week flooded his mind. Only five days removed from the incredible parade uh, with palm branches thrown at his feet and across the road. Only five days removed from that, that celebration. It must have seemed a lifetime ago. The fatigue, the heartbreak, the terrible pain, all were unbearable. He hung there for six hours while the crowd waited for his last breath. 
He hung there in front of the world, ready to take his last breath, knowing something none of them knew. It's Friday. Sunday's coming. Here we are. That Friday is gone forever. It's gone forever for those across the world. Friends, it's Sunday. It's our Sunday. And with two and a half billion other Christians on the planet, we can shout, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.